Do not go after them. Do not be terrified. I'm struck by these two succinct phrases, summaries of the good news that Jesus has been announcing in Luke. In Luke, the kingdom or reign of God belongs to the poor, is meant to be proclaimed in urban centers and hamlets alike, is hidden beneath and inside of Jesus's parables and is as imminent as your next breath. It is this urgent message that the God of Israel has come near to us in the person of Jesus Christ, that Jesus, that Jesus travels throughout and around his homeland, sharing not only in words, but in acts of healing and humility. His work challenged contemporary narratives of Roman superiority, uneven social orders, and other imperial structures that suppressed human belonging and flourishing. One of those barriers to flourishing, Jesus warns, is those who use catastrophe and calamity to peddle their own false prophecies. When Jesus begins discussing the fragility of the temple, that great architectural feat of the first century, his disciples ask when it will collapse in on itself. When will these things happen, Lord? And Jesus retorts around verse 8, some will come in my name. When temples fall and tragedy strikes, saying, I am he, and the time is near, do not go after them. Do not go after them. Don't pay attention to them. Don't subscribe to their Facebook page. Don't follow them on Twitter. Don't accept their friend requests on Instagram. Do not go after them because they are willing to take the shortcut even though they don't know where they're going. There is a tendency in scripture and in the church's great tradition and in the life of the world to gravitate to the figure who offers the clear, digestible reason why this, that, and the other thing happened. We see it every day on television and on social media. The sound bites and conspiracy theories that on another plane of imagination qualify as false prophecies. The sound bites are easy to latch on to because when towers fall, when temples collapse, when pandemics emerge and wars break out, sound bites can give an intense sense of resolution. There's something about our wiring as human beings that prefers a tidy, neatly wrapped explanation over ambiguity and mystery. But instead of using the shortcut, Jesus says, don't go after them. Tread the way of wisdom. Cultivate a preference for the ambiguous, the mysterious, the inexplicable. Don't go after them. 
Don't go after the voices that say you're too flawed, not thin enough, not educated enough, not smart enough. The voices that say if you only buy this, only move to that place, only get that job, only find the right spouse, only sort out those children, then you'll be happy. That is the voice of desolation, the voice of the accuser, not the voice of God in Christ. And then Jesus gives us another negative commandment. So the first is do not go after them. The second is do not be terrified. Do not be terrified. When you hear of wars and insurrections, Jesus says, do not be terrified. Jesus pauses to say, do not be terrified, because the natural reaction to war and insurrections, persecution, imprisonment, earthquakes, famines, plagues, and dreadful portents is terror and fear. And that's just Tuesday on the evening news, am I right? Do not be terrified, I hear Jesus say, for these catastrophes and calamities are not signs of a hostile and volatile God. On the contrary, the God revealed in Jesus Christ is a companion to and for us when we find ourselves wedged between suffering and difficulty. God is not the architect of terror. Do not be terrified, Jesus seems to say, because God is for you and God is with you. Do not go after them and do not be terrified. Now, I know you all well enough to know that this question is probably percolating. Jesus tells us, not to go after false prophets, nor to be terrified when those same prophets say that earthquakes and wars are signs of the ends of the world, end of the world. But you may be asking, how am I supposed to differentiate a false prophecy from the genuine voice of God? An answer may be best borne out in the sacramental bread and wine we will share in just a moment. Meditate with me, if you will, on the emotional dimension of Holy Eucharist, of Holy Communion, on the flesh and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. How do you feel once you've received the bread and the wine? It's okay to feel nothing but if you feel something, what is it? What is it? If you're holding that feeling in one hand, place that feeling alongside the way you feel when someone tells you that wildfires and terrorist attacks are acts of God. I will guess that those are two different feelings. I don't have a window into your soul, 
but I would guess that. The same Jesus who speaks to us in the Gospels as the Word of God incarnate is the Jesus who speaks to us non-verbally as flesh and blood in bread and wine. Do not go after them. Do not be terrified. Are the music words devout and large? To quote the great American poet Gwendolyn Brooks, we hear our Lord say to us, I am pursuing you so you don't have to go after the voices who undermine you and obscure my image in you. I am your hope, your courage, your confidence, and your peace. Do not be terrified. Who needs to hear Jesus say that to you today? Who needs to hear Jesus say that to you today? If you need to hear that, there will be an altar call in just a moment. You'll be invited to open your palms and your mouth and your heart to receive once again Jesus himself. This is an Episcopal church, so it won't be that kind of an altar call. It will be the altar call God extends to you every Sunday. The invitation to receive into your very body, the very body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. Speaking to a group of catechumens, which are people who are new or who are returning to Christian faith, St. Augustine of Hippo, the African bishop and theologian, described the newly baptized as a loaf of bread and the process of being baptized as baking. When you were interrogated for baptism, St. Augustine said to them, you were ground. When you were baptized, you were leavened. When you received the fire of the Holy Ghost, you were baked. Be what you see, receive what you are, he concludes. In just a moment, we'll behold the bread and become the bread. We receive the bread because we are already the bread. This altar is where we find our stability, our steadiness, and our center as Christians. And it is this altar that assures us that even when others use wars and insurrections to frighten us, Christ beckons us, saying, don't go after them. Don't be terrified. I am here with you. I am here for you. Amen.